0: I remember sitting in my stepsister's car with her and thinking, this is so cool. She had actually just got her license and this was the first time I was going on a solo drive with her. She actually lit up a cigarette and was like, don't tell my mom that I'm smoking. I was like, oh my God, you're so cool. Besides that, she started playing music like Ani DeFranco and Tori Amos. And I remember thinking, this music is like nothing I've ever heard before. I knew she was going into university as well. And I remember saying, oh, what are you going to study in university? Expecting her to say, like, history or an arts degree. But she told me she was going to study women's studies. And I remember thinking, women's studies? I didn't even know that was a degree. I didn't even know you could study women. Obviously, now that I'm older, and hopefully a little bit wiser, I totally understand the need for such a course. It's important to know where it all started and why we're fighting for what we're fighting for today. I also grew up in an environment where feminism had a very bad connotation. I remember hearing very ignorant people say phrases like crazy feminist or referring to feminists as having hairy armpits or even saying feminists were all angry lesbians who hate men. I think probably in my core, I was always a feminist, but I don't think I would have labeled myself as one. Like, no one ever really asked me are you a feminist? But I think if they did ask me, I feel like I probably would have said no as a younger kid because I was just so consumed with that stereotype, you know? And I was like, well, I'm none of those things. What does a feminist even look like? Well, back then, the picture was painted. She's wearing Birkenstocks, she's definitely a tomboy, does not wear makeup, puts no effort into her physical appearance. Now when I think of celebrities or people I look up to, everyone is a feminist, so it's hard to kind of pinpoint what a feminist looks like. It can be anyone. It can be the person sitting across from you on the bus. It can be Emma Watson, Beyonce. Aziz Ansari, ladies and gents. What a lovable little guy. Recently, I have gone home, back to my hometown, and I'm still hit with some of those similar feelings. I feel like maybe the progress isn't totally there yet in some communities, and I was shocked that even some of my own family members still say those kind of phrases like crazy feminist and don't tell me you're one of those feminists now which I just like don't even know how to react. Today women from all sorts of backgrounds leading countless different lives have come out to identify themselves as feminists, which is fantastic. From Emily Pankhurst to Emma Watson, our feminist icons are as different as the rights they fought for. Could Emma look Emily in the eye and find common ground? It can be argued that whilst some feminists fight against mansplaining, others still fight for the rights to an abortion. Is our individualism blinding us from our collective power to make real change? And what does that change even mean in today's world? I'm absolutely not an expert in feminism, and I've definitely been wrong before. I have so much to learn. But in my opinion, what's important is that I'm trying. Feminism is a journey and it is ever changing. Roxanne Gay, American author and activist, says that she'd rather be a bad feminist than not a feminist at all. I really love that way of thinking. I like the idea of trying to do better and not being afraid of messing a few things up now and then. It's how we learn, after all. Women have made huge strides in the fight for equality, but I wonder if these strides affect all women. Women from all cultures, all countries, all races, transgender women, all women. I want to learn more about what I can do to make sure I'm doing everything I can to fight everyone's fight. I'm Estée Lalonde, and welcome to The Heart of It. On this show, I take subjects and explore them through the unique experiences of my guests. This episode, my favorite F word, fa fa feminism Feminism can be described as a collection of movements and ideologies aimed at defining, establishing, and defending equal political, economic, and social rights for women. But what does that even mean? Particularly nowadays, feminism has become a fluid term in which a personal perception is often applied. In our more progressive society, what's next on the agenda for feminists? What really is feminism today? Do we really run the world? Today I'll be joined by my friend Akila Hughes, aka Akilah, obviously.
1: Hey, Akilah. Hello, hello. How are you doing, Estee? Hi,
0: I'm really good. Now, Akila is a comedian, writer, and a YouTuber, and I've always found that Akila's videos are a go-to when I'm looking for social commentary that makes that sense. Crazy. So <laughs> Thank you for talking to me because um, I look at you as my guidance human on the internet who's going to tell me about all of the world issues and explain it in a way that I can understand.
1: Oh my gosh. I I try. I try to do that. That's that's my goal. So I'm glad that you like it.
0: And I'm not sure if you remember this, but once you called me woke and I have never forgotten it.
1: (laughs) Well, you were pretty woke. I feel like you're you're a woke person, you know? You, like, you post things that I'm matter. I'm trying.
0: <laughs> Akilah I, is the kind of person who doesn't judge you for not knowing something. She makes serious subjects really funny, and she knows what she's talking about. So I'm really happy to have my friend Akilah here to help me tackle the subject of feminism. Still sleeping. <laughs> All right, so... Before we get started and talk about the hard-hitting feminism questions, I want you to tell me a bit about your background. I know you were born in Kentucky, right?
1: Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm from Kentucky. I lived and worked there for 22 years, and then I moved to New York. So I live in Brooklyn. I've been here about five years.
0: So when you moved to New York, like, was there a reason you you moved there? Like, did you specifically want to go to New York?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I moved here to do uh, comedy. That was just my number one goal. Uh, Tina Fey's book, Bossy Pants, came out. And when I read it my takeaway was literally just like, move to a city and do this. (laughs) So instead of Chicago, I chose New York. But uh, I feel like she laid the blueprint. And then I just sort of left.
0: I mean, I've read that book as well. And when I read it, I was so inspired after. It's crazy to think that Tina Fey has had such an impact on your life, my life, whoever's life who's read that book. Like she's one person and she wrote that book and has had such an amazing career. It's funny to hear me refer to Tina Fey as just one person. We're all just one person. But I think what I'm trying to get across is as a female role model, you're kind of expected to be more than one person. When we look at a woman in the public eye, we start thinking all these background questions like, is she a feminist? What's she doing for women's rights? How did she represent women in that film that she did? You know, there's all these questions that go along with it. And it is a huge responsibility. So then obviously you moved to New York and then you started doing this comedy stuff. When did the YouTube channel kind of come into play?
1: I saw it as an opportunity to have like a portfolio of work. Like I never really saw my YouTube channel as um, this is my career so much as this is proof of all of the different kinds of things I can do. Mm -hmm. And hopefully one day somebody will hire me for like television (laughs) to do these things.
0: Oh, that's and pretty cool.
1: And for some reason, it's, yeah, like took off though. So now I'm like, well, I guess I'll just do both.
0: <laughs> so obviously you kind of looked at YouTube as a tool to further your other career. But um, did mm-hmm. you always intend to put political content on there? Because you do a lot of political content.
1: I do. And like, honestly, it wasn't the initial thing that I set out to do at all. I think that I just wanted to do like funny sketches. Like the thing that really inspired my YouTube channel the most, like to start one, was The Lonely Island on Saturday Night Live. Like I just thought their videos were so great. And every like Sunday morning, everyone would be talking about them on my college campus. And so I was like, that's so cool. Like I want to make that sort of thing. But we're living in such a like horrible (laughs) political climate right now that like everything is touched by the current just. World. Like it's just uh, everything on the news, everything on TV is about what's happening in our White House. And so I feel like I have to talk about it because, like, the best comedy comes from a real place. And like, it would just be crazy if I was talking about something else, I feel.
0: Yeah. And do you think it's important to incorporate comedy when talking about serious issues like racism and sexism and things like that? Like, do you think that that's an important tool to use to kind of
1: discuss those topics? So for me, it's just like, yeah, it just makes it easier to have those conversations because people feel like their guard is down when someone's joking with them or can make it a little bit more lighthearted instead of just, you know... (laughs) an episode of Roots.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, you know, there's a big difference between sitting down at like a desk in school and learning about racism to watching a YouTube video with someone explaining <laughs> why racism sucks.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's totally different. Like, I wish that that existed when I was in elementary school. I'm telling you, these kids today, <laughs> they have it so easy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just... They don't even have to read The Handmaid's Tale. Like, they <laughs> they're living it. On it. <laughs> They're living it. Yes.
0: Although I said to my boyfriend, Aslan, I was like telling him about The Handmaid's Tale. He's never read it or seen it. He's like, you don't really think that could happen to you. I'm like, it's happening. And
1: like, yeah, like also like, have you seen an episode? Like they didn't think it could happen. Yeah.
0: Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) So talking back about, you know, the comedy and stuff and the, the argument that feminism versus comedy, you know, can women be funny argument? Let's talk about it.
1: I know. Oh my God. I did a video once.
0: If you've never heard of the women aren't funny argument, let me enlighten you with some of these thoughts. Christopher Hitchens explains that being funny is an innate thing in a man. Men need this Skill or tool of being funny to attract other women. And he says that women simply don't need to be funny to attract other men. And then there's Lee Mack's argument that says women are less likely to show off. And comedy is all about showing off. It's all about being funnier than the person next to you. And women haven't grown up with being competitive and wanting to show off. So therefore, they're just not as funny. And then, you know it's coming, Jermaine Greer. Jermaine thinks that comedy and humor is created in childhood. And because so many lads and boys banter and joke for their entire lives, they just kind of get a lot of practice. And since girls don't have that, they just can't be as funny. So none of those arguments are scientifically proven, and I, I I don't really know what to say about them. They just seem a little bit crazy. I don't think it's true, obviously. I know a lot of funny women, and there are loads of them everywhere. Look around, you might find one.
1: Yeah, I, obviously women can be funny. Like, humor is about um, observing things that are mundane in, like, an original way. And I think that women are... in. General, very intuitive and very observational. And so like women can totally be funny. I think that um, our media kind of highlights a certain kind of funny woman. And so then people can be like, well, they're not funny because they all talk about this thing. But I don't think that that is so much to do with the actual comedian so much as like what people are willing to pay for. Like, if there's a network that wants a woman to talk about, like, her vagina over and over again, then, yeah, uh, you could say that's not funny because you you don't find that comedy funny, but I don't think that that means, like, women aren't funny. I think that that's just what people are paying. Like, they're buying that for their network. Yeah. I also think that men, like, people always say that, or I guess this is, like, the male argument I've heard, which is guys are funny for evolutionary reasons because if they're not attractive, if a woman will laugh, then they'll still, like, sleep with them.
0: Yeah, I've heard that. I don't
1: think that that's like just the case. Like there are dudes who are funny who I'm like, I would never, ever let you near me. I wouldn't touch (laughs) you with a
0: 10 foot pole, bro. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. My body just dried up thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you there's like been maybe one experience in my life where I've been funny and a guy was threatened by it and he didn't want to like date me anymore. And it was literally a guy on Tinder and he was like, oh, like you're a comedian. Well, I'm usually funny in relationships. I'm like, well, we're not dating, so don't worry about it. Oh, God. Yeah, I think it's like, it's just a deep well of insecurity. Like, if women can be funny, then men are like, I have to be able to do something else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I shouldn't have to try at things. Like, come (laughs) on, women have to be funny, smart, pretty, and like, not confident about it. (laughs) It's absurd.
0: But I think, yeah, as well, it goes back to that sort of argument of like, okay, women can be funny, but not too funny. They can be smart, but not too smart. Right. And I was thinking a little bit about Amy Schumer and how she's been criticized a lot for her um, stand-up comedy, which I guess is a lot around sexual openness. What do you you think about that?
1: I mean, I think, you know, like, there are always valid critiques of comedy. And I, like, there are things that she's done that I totally am like, this is just not funny or, like, good or even smart comedy. And that's fine. I don't think that, like, I think that women should be able to do everything that men do, and I mean like that even includes having like kind of crappy comedy. Like I think that there are so many not funny men who are getting like Netflix specials. I always get a little disgusted when people immediately are like, "Well, she's talking about this, so I don't think she deserves to have things." I'm like, "Yeah, but there are dudes. Come on, like, who's well, it's like a Rob Schneider. Like he has a show on Netflix, and he's like the least funny human being in history. Rob Schneider. Like- <laughs> he has a special if he could have a show." He has, like, a TV show. Like, he has episodes. I think there are seasons. Like, it's so bad.
0: Okay, fine. But I am weirdly obsessed with the hot chick, and I've seen it, like, a thousand times.
1: I mean, okay, to be fair, that movie is a masterpiece. But that was the beginning (laughs) and end of his humor. Like, he's just not funny. And so, like, that's the thing is, like, I... I think that women should be allowed to have movies that suck. Like, I, my very unpopular, bad feminist opinion is I didn't like the all-female Ghostbusters. And I like all of those actors individually, and I think that they're, like, really talented. I just felt like the movie lacked a plot.
0: Oh, God, I'm, I'm so glad you said that, because I watched that on an airplane, and I was like, this isn't good.
1: It's not good. And so I'm like, look. It's not good, but does that mean we can't have any female-led action or whatever movies? No, like, let's have bad ones. Like, I also tried to watch Ride Along with Kevin Hart (laughs) and The Rock, and it was terrible. (laughs) It was Like, a bunch of cattywampus garbage. Like, it was so trash. And so I think that women should be able to have crappy things just as much as dudes have crappy, like, products. And then also, like, hold them to high standards the same way that we try to hold men to. I just think that, like... It's uneven, right? Like if a woman fails, then it's over for women, which is absurd.
0: Yeah. So yeah, the juice of what you're saying is women are just held to such a high standard and the minute they kind of fuck up, it's like you suck at everything, go back to your
1: corner. Exactly. Yeah, like, oh, guess women can't do it. And I'm like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not true. Just this Ghostbuster sucks. Like that's fine. <laughs> so what does Ghostbuster suck? <laughs> that's what this episode is about. Why it sucks.
0: Okay. So let's get right back to it. Let's talk about feminism. All right. So I know what my experiences are like as a white woman, obviously, but you know, I'm really trying to learn what being a feminist is like from a black woman's perspective. And I'm, I'm assuming our experiences have been totally different. Um, so what kind of challenges have you faced as a woman. I
1: mean, I definitely think that like the things that I face in particular, it usually ends up falling back on race and the idea that like because I am black people s- fail to see that I'm a woman. And I don't mean like <laughs> in like a sexual context like there's not some dude who's like, "Oh, <laughs> you're a lady." I just think that when we talk about these issues, like it's always like, "Well, we don't make this much money." Or we make exactly this much and I'm like, "Well, I make less." Or In particular, like, I deal with racism. So, like, if somebody calls me, like, a nappy-headed hoe, it's like, okay, well, it's obviously, you know, (laughs) sexist. But it's, like, it's racist. And I think that, like, people tend to not see how things can be both at the same time. I mean, even with... Like, that Ghostbusters film we just keep talking about. I made a video about how Leslie Jones totally could have been a scientist. I don't know why she wasn't. And she didn't really use her MTA knowledge to, you know, move the story forward. And I got a lot of backlash, including from, like, the director on Twitter. And so I think you know, there are people who just have a blind spot. Like, even men who consider themselves feminists are like, well, what? There's a Black woman in it. So what if she's, like, the only one who's not an actual scientist? And so what if she, like, is just there to say, damn, and be, like, you know, a caricature of what a Black woman is? And so those are the things that I sort of bump up against where it's like, yeah, you you almost got it right. Like, it's great that she's there, but why does she still have to be a Black stereotype? And that's that's sort of the real issue.
0: Yeah, it's true. And it... <laughs> I I don't know. Like, is there a way to change that to get people to see like it's not as simple as black and white, so to speak?
1: Well, I think that's the thing is like, yeah, like I I mean, what I try to do in my videos and online is just make sure that I'm calling it out. And like not to be the person who's like, oh, call out culture like that person's bad. But to explain like, hey, I get it. This is better. Here are some ways it could be improved. And I think that what's my challenge is how do I do that without alienating people? And how do I do that without people being like, oh, well, she just only talks about race. Cause I don't like, you're, you subscribe to me. I talk about a lot of things, um, yeah. but people, they get scared. And I think that the world has a culture of like, if you are wrong, it means you're bad. And so people don't ever want to admit they're wrong. People don't ever want to admit that they have more to learn. And it's, it's just that it's like I don't necessarily think anybody's like the worst person, but I think that there are major blind spots. And like any time I can point out like, hey, this could be more inclusive. I try to do that and I just have to deal with the backlash.
0: <laughs> yeah, I really like the way that you do that, though, because I always think like if you're just going to sit there and call people out, you, like people are already so afraid to talk yeah. about issues and this and that, like The fear that I have even doing this episode, I'm like, what if I fuck up and say something bad? You know? It's like, that's not really how you learn. That's not how you get other people. So I think it's really important to kind of talk about what's happening and how you can improve it. You know, I think that's really important for sure. Talking about feminism can be scary, especially publicly. As soon as you publicly come out as a feminist, you're held to such a high standard, and you're expected not to mess up. And if you do, watch out. There will be an internet backlash. It's really bad for the feminist movement to have people who are trying to get into feminism be scared to talk about feminism. And that's not just people like me who happen to be on the internet. It's amongst friends and family and other feminists. It can be really scary to voice your opinion and and even say, like, oh, why is it bad to say that? Because then you're afraid of getting this look of, like, you don't know. That being said, there are a lot of feminist people who are super open to talking constructively about feminism and teaching others about feminism and why someone might feel a certain way, which is great. And I think we definitely need more of that. Okay, well... One of my favorite videos that you've done is a video about intersectionality and you used a pizza analogy.
1: The video was essentially explaining intersectionality in a way that was digestible, which is not a pun. It just happened.
0: (laughs) Um, But it was even though I like to believe I have most of the answers. I don't. So I have to go elsewhere, usually on the Internet, to try to decipher what's going on and get information to help form an opinion. So, when I stumbled across Akila's intersectionality video, I was like, yes, finally, something I can understand. So, what Akila was saying is that intersectional feminism is like a pizza. I love pizza. So, you have a pizza and you have another pizza. And you know what? Let me
1: just get Akila to explain it. It's way easier. Say you're born a cheese pizza, but the world is made for burgers, right? You can go anywhere and get a burger. Burgers are the go-to fast food. Pretty much everything in the world is made to serve burgers. So you're trying to say, hey, pizza's just as good as burgers. Pizza's just as satisfying as burgers. Pizza deserves the same rights as burgers. And that's all fine and good. But then there are pizzas like me, deluxe pizzas, who happen to have different toppings and features than cheese pizzas and have their own problems to face because they are pizzas and have different toppings. And we're like, what about us? Cheese pizzas are by far the most celebrated pizzas in society, right? Like, if you go anywhere on the menu, there's gonna be a cheese pizza. In any facet of society, whether that's art, media, education, finance, history, cheese pizzas are the only pizzas that are ever mentioned. You know, cheese pizza is so celebrated that there are snacks that celebrate that flavor, like combos and Pringles and even bagel bites. Cheese pizza is highly visible. Meanwhile, this is not the case for deluxe pizzas, all right? Our features are often seen by the untrained eye as extra weight and too much of a problem, and we're left to crumble because the crust does not support us. It is much more difficult to be a deluxe pizza in a burger world. the point of the video and what I sort of try to illustrate is like there was a celebration of cheese pizza where cheese pizza exists. And that's again, white women. And then the other women, the deluxe pizzas were just sort of like left in the wings. It's when, you know, you have people criticizing Beyonce for talking about feminism and like, you know, being sexual in a video, but then like shouting out Emma Watson, who's saying less eloquent things and just like shows up at the last minute, but happens to be like white and English. I think that there's you know there's a disconnect intersectionality is about taking into consideration the fact that there are women who are also black or also latina or also trans
0: got you so okay i have a genuine question here yes and remember i'm i'm a cheese pizza here okay <laughs> When you look at someone like Emma Watson, like, from my point of view, she's doing great things. She's trying to speak up for women. I feel like she's trying to speak up for all women. Maybe she's not. I feel like she's probably trying to. Is she doing a bad thing by trying? Like, should she just stay silent? Like, uh, that's one thing I'm wondering about it.
1: Right. And that's the thing is, like, I don't think that she's doing anything bad, and I don't think that she should stay silent. What I do think is, like, she knows she should pass the buck to someone else. Like, the things that she faces and the things that she talks about, like, again, she's talking mostly about white women. And, like, I think that when you put a white woman at the helm of feminism, you fail to acknowledge what feminism set out to do, which is make things equal.
0: I guess what I'm trying to wonder is, I'm obviously trying to be the best feminist that I can be, but what can I be doing to be a more intersectional feminist? Like, what can I be doing to not just be super white, basically?
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, that's the thing. Is like, be like, you should totally be happy that you're white. If I was white, I'd be so happy. I just think, like, you know, the thing that white allies can do in in this situation is. Amplify other voices. I think you do a great job of that. Like, you've totally shouted me out and had me in your videos. Um, I think if there's something that you are shaky about, like, referencing those people and talking to them is far more effective uh, than just talking... Well, I would say like amongst yourself, which means just like talking to other white women. I think um, people just want to be included and you don't necessarily have to be aware of everything. Like, I think that's another fear people have about caring about anything is like, oh, I don't know everything, so I must not know anything. If you just focus on the issues that really do matter to you and like ways that they can become more intersectional and like just having the gumption (laughs) to look at everything through that lens, that helps. So what
0: do you think, The role of men in feminism is then
1: for one i think men totally benefit from feminism i think women who feel empowered don't hate men if anything they feel like they can do more with men and they can you know exist beside them more confidently and like have better relationships i also think that like feminism is about letting men feel feminine emotions and like what's been deemed feminine emotions right And, like, I think that that's healthier. Like, I think men have to cut off a really large part of themselves to exist in this world, and it's really sad. Like, the fact that men aren't allowed to cry publicly is, or even, like, privately, like, if they even admit that they cry, it's, like, the end of the world. I'm like, oh, okay, so you're not a human, you're a superhuman, and, like, what does that do to your psyche over a lifetime? So I think that, like, feminism, for one, just inherently benefits everyone, but I think men's role in feminism is to elevate women, People listen to men more often and more diligently and less critically. And I think the more space men can make for women to say things and have power, the better. And so it's just like lift up your sisters, (laughs) lift them up, give them like space
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. It does actually benefit them. If that's the way they need to think about it, like it will benefit you. This is kind of an aside, but I was watching Undercover Boss last night because I love it. I love it too. (laughs) Um, And it was kind of like this really like manly man guy and he was the Undercover Boss and he was giving this woman like $20,000 or something. And he started crying when he was giving it to her. And what I loved about it is that he didn't make any excuses like, I can't believe I'm crying. He was like, I'm just really emotional right now. I'm so happy to do this. And I thought it was friggin' beautiful.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Like, imagine a world where, like, men could be as vulnerable with women as women always feel with men. Like, it would just be so much better. I think we'd all have better relationships. I think we'd all have less fear of one another. I just think that, like, we've built up this idea that like, if men have any emotion whatsoever, then that's weakness. And that's why people think women are weak is because they do actually like care about their emotions and take care of themselves. And it's, um, it's a real shame. Yeah. Like not being able to access all of your emotions is why, like if most gun violence and most like senseless violence, if not like at least 90% of it, right. is carried out by men It's like, okay, well, this is a person who has had to repress their emotions, right, (laughs) for their entire lives. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, you're going to snap at some point. I can't imagine if I wasn't allowed to cry for 27 years.
0: Oh, don't say that. Yeah. I'd
1: be a different person and it wouldn't be a very nice or likable one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. I've never thought of it that way, actually. So since we're talking about feminism, um, obviously, we are from the Western world. But, you know, I often think about other countries and I guess what I'm trying to say is, are we slightly spoiled and kind of ahead of the feminist? Thinking about some of the feminist fights that are happening all over the world, like women fighting to be able to go to school. Imagine not being allowed to go to school. Of course, I do call myself a feminist, but it's funny to think that I'm a feminist, but so are people like Malala and a lot of other women who actually risk their lives for this cause. When I speak about this, I'm not in danger imagine the bravery that someone like Malala has to speak about this where it's not safe to do so.
1: I think that feminism looks different everywhere. I definitely think Because a lot of the groundwork and a lot of the liberation and the liberation studies and all of that have happened in the Western world. It can seem like we know more than everybody else. (laughs) But I don't think that like, I just don't think we're comparing apples to apples when we talk about like Western world feminism and like the East and also like the Middle East. I definitely think that there have been strides made. And like, in a lot of ways, the West is a leader because we have the money and we have the resources and we have like the platform to speak out about it where in a lot of places they don't, but I don't think that the work isn't being done. And like the worst comparison I can see is people being like, well, women, you know, Muslim women have to cover their heads. And like, that's so oppressive, but I can, you know, living in New York, I can see, um, you know, Hasidic Jewish women who wear wigs outside and, you know, there are women in America who are pressured to be naked all the time. You know what I mean? Like, I think that any pressure on women from an outside force is negative. And so just because it looks different doesn't mean it is.
0: Mm. It's hard because I go back and forth in my mind about westernized feminism and also not forgetting about feminism in other parts of the world. But another battle inside my feminist brain is whether or not it's okay to be sexy as a feminist.
1: I think, like, for me, the root of being an honest feminist is, like, let women do whatever the hell they want to do. Like, (laughs) if they want to do this, great. If it's like, you know, a bunch of powerful record executives saying, like, you need to show off your titties so we can sell more albums. Yeah, that's like bad <laughs> anti-feminist. And so, like, it's hard to know without the actual intention of the artist. But I don't think inherently being sexual makes a woman less of a person who is like about. I mean, that's the whole thing, right, is like women should be able to liberate their bodies and do whatever they want with them, regardless of what other people think. And so. You know, I think that in a lot of ways it's empowering, but I personally feel like it does add a lot of pressure to women, but that's just because we haven't broken that barrier yet where we see lots of different bodies naked or with clothes on, you know? Like, I don't stand by the critique that Beyonce is less of a feminist because she, like, wears leotards on stage, you know? (laughs) If her message is that and she's empowering women to show up and, like, sing lyrics about how they should be equal, then, like, let her wear whatever she wants. But I, I just, I think that... Any hesitance I have to that is just a reflection on, like, kind of my own insecurities (laughs) because I don't feel comfortable doing those things. Right. Uh, I don't think it really reflects on her.
0: That's such an interesting point because I always say things like, if I had an ass like that, I'd be wearing that thong to the beach, like, stuff like that. Yeah. So (laughs) I don't have an issue with it personally. Well, speaking of kind of like media and things like that, I'm not sure if you've ever come across campaigns like This Girl Can and The Force is Female Mm -hmm. by Nike. Have you ever seen those? Yeah. So do you think that it's, you know, obviously it's a great thing that we've got this shift in advertising, but I wonder, and something that pisses me off is that a lot of companies sort of use this feminist angle now because it's kind Mm -hmm. of become more popular, like, for sure. It's great to see it, but at the same time, it's like, what are your reasons or does it matter?
1: Exactly. I mean, I, I'm completely with you on that point. I think that when companies use feminism as a way to make money, I'm often skeptical and like literally just based on the fact that like their entire organizational chart is like men, 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 men. It's like, OK, is this company feminist feminist? Like, inherently, like, was their in-game always to help women? And, like, what are they doing internally that actually shows that? Because, like, Mm. just because you have, like, now you have a pink water bottle. We care about women. (laughs) We care about breast cancer. Like, okay, that's really nice. And, like, I'm glad that that money might get to those people. But, yeah, I I am a little skeptical because anytime something becomes a fad, that means that there's – it's only going to take, you know – Another uprising of a different ideology to take over, and I don't think that feminism is a fad. I don't think that it's something that's going to be cool for like ten minutes. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of a double edged sword. It like, is. Lululemon got it real bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Another company that I feel has kind of jumped on the feminism trend is BuzzFeed. They do tend to use feminism as a bit of clickbait. And they also kind of put these articles up that are just stupid. It's like, men don't know how to have conversations and using things like that that are pretty basic. And really, it's kind of lessening the feminist fight. And it's kind of making people just take it as a bit of a joke.
1: Yeah. Like, I have been subject to lots of critiques from, like, men who don't believe in feminism, but I think a lot of the critiques of BuzzFeed's version of feminism are completely fair. Um, Like, doing a video that's just like, man-spreading so stupid... I mean, is that really the hill you want to die on? Like, who cares that much? And it's also, like, they I think that's the problem, right? Where these are things that they elevate to a certain point, but they're also very reductive and, like, condescending to men. And that's not what feminism has to be. Like, it's not about women being better than men. I think we should have more intelligent conversations. And because they make content like that, and it is so popular, it does sort of shit on the entire movement. I just, I don't really consider what BuzzFeed is doing, which is making money off of, like... The lowest form of feminism, which is just like, women should have a seat on a train. <laughs> it's, like, absurd. Like, it's public transportation. It, like, I'm going to get over it, right? Like, m- men might spread out, but I know lots of women who put their purse on a seat and then just don't move it. Like, it's just not the fight that we're having. Like, it's a lot of just bullshit like that. <laughs> and so it does cheapen it. Like, I, I don't want them anywhere near any of my feminism, my, like, fighting for, like, you know, any kind of justice. I just think that BuzzFeed it's not productive. It's it's not helpful. If anything, I'm constantly fighting against what BuzzFeed has put out to the world as what feminism is or should be.
0: Yeah. And I mean, do you think that certain feminists come across as the girls who just get offended by everything?
1: Oh, for sure. I definitely think like a lot of times the people who seem to be offended by everything are very self-centered and they want to make things about them. And everything becomes about their specific struggle instead of a big picture. And that's that's a real problem with anything. I think selfishness is what turns everybody off about any movement. I would never say that feminism or like, you know, being anti-sexism or even like being an SJW is a perfect thing to be. I, I don't think that there is a perfect way to live your life and they're all open to critiques. But I do think that like, it's not fair to paint us all with the same brush just because like Susie hurt feelings is like (laughs) in the corner crying again like some people are just like that they don't speak for everybody and they don't speak for me
0: shout out to Susie, hurt feelings
1: (laughs) exactly Susie, hurt feelings how you doing still crying (laughs)
0: cool all right well i think that's an amazing place to leave it you've been so insightful and helpful to me personally on this topic because it is sort of like so huge and vast, but yeah. um, I'm so happy that you took the time to talk to me. Thank you, Akila. Thank you for
1: having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I loved talking to Akilah. Anytime I get to talk to her, I just feel a little bit smarter. I really liked what Akilah had to say about feminists like Emma Watson. I think I never really truly understood that argument before. I liked that Akilah said that, you know, she can look at Emma Watson and appreciate what she's doing, but it doesn't necessarily represent her fight and her experiences. When I think of how I started my feminist journey, I think of a really young girl, and I'm so proud of how far I've come. I mean, the thought of doing an entire podcast all about the subject of feminism would have scared me even a year ago. I always felt like I didn't know enough about feminism to talk about it, but actually I'm learning that feminism is an ever-growing thing and no one knows all the answers. So if you're someone who is new to feminism, I hope this episode made a little bit of sense to you. If it didn't, then what I can recommend is checking out the internet. I think what I realized more than anything is you need to read a lot, consume a lot from a lot of different types of people to get a well-rounded opinion. And on your feminism journey across the internet, and maybe even in real life, you might find your own Aquila. Like I said in the beginning, I think it's really crucial that we all just try try to expand our minds, try to listen to other people and how they're feeling. And at the end of the day, it's all about having empathy. And to bring it back around to Roxanne Gay, one of my faves, it's better to be a bad feminist than not a feminist at all. This show was brought to you by the team at Radio Wolfgang. It was hosted by me, Estee Lalonde, and featured Akila Hughes. It was executive produced by Harry Watson. The assistant producer was Holly Aquilina, and the producer was Natalia Rodriguez. So if you want to find Akila, then just first of all, you could type her name into Google, Akila Hughes. You can also find her on her blog, it's AkilaObviously.com, and on YouTube, it's Akila obviously.